a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. This week is, is the week when um, Christians around the world celebrate or remember um, uh, Jesus having, having risen again and spent, uh, spent some time with his disciples. Um, he goes back up into heaven. And, uh, and we read about this um, at the end of, of Matthew 28 and, and in, uh, in Acts 1. We read, about Matthew, um, we read about Jesus going back up into heaven. And, and we, we call that Ascension Day, um, where, where he's literally, Acts 1 actually says he was taken up out of their view. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel, I feel like actually we, we live in a world without the visible signs of God. Yeah, actually things, things must have been pretty cool for the disciples having Jesus, the Son of God, right there. Right there next to them hanging out, doing some really cool miracles, teaching them amazing uh, truths about, about the Lord. And yet now, on, on this day, on this week, we remember that he's taken away from this earth. And, and it's, it's easy to think that when we, when we hear about vulnerable people being terribly abused in, in uh, homes by people that are paid to look after them, it's easy to think that when we try and see, when we see people trying to put their lives back together um, after natural disasters in Haiti or or the tornadoes in Joplin, that, that there's an awful lot of pain and suffering. It it feels like it feels like that as, as we're reminded about 8,000 Muslim uh, men and boys uh, massacred in, in Srebrenica all, all those all those years ago. It, it feels like, where's God in this world sometimes? And I know that a lot of people that we speak to at work, a lot of people, a lot of our friends, ask that very same question. And today, I don't want to focus just on, where's God? <laughs> but actually, I want to focus on, where is God? Where he is. I want to talk about his presence. I want to talk about, um, not his absence, but how he is present amongst us and everywhere that we go. And Psalm 139 is a really, really good place to look at this. So turn with me, if you will. You've probably already got there, because I, I said Psalm 139 about five minutes ago, and I haven't even started talking about it yet. Just to give you a bit of context, um, this is written by a chap called David, who was a who was a shepherd and became a king um, and he is probably the best documented worshipper of God and by worshipper I mean someone who just pours out what what is on his heart to God knowing that God will hear it knowing just as Ray said earlier today that God will register his prayer and often his his songs psalms are just songs right so so often his songs are start off in kind of anguish and, and pain and turn around to praise and adoration. Psalm, these psalms are just are really just amazing. 
the way the way that God sort of takes his anguish and 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 God really uses David in a way that I don't think David knew about he uses him quite prophetically to to proclaim truths that David just thought he was just pouring out his heart to God but actually we see that what is true for for David the shepherd David the king is actually true for us today and there's a real there's a real kind of reflection of the character of God and and his relationship between his people that we read about in in these songs to how how things are today and and God does does more than that he he actually gives some amazing prophecies about how about what's going to happen to Jesus in the Psalms as well. So forgive me if I probably go off on, onto some of those. I'm supposed to be talking about one Psalm, but we'll probably end up doing like an album of Psalms by the end of the morning. Okay, so it really is quite incredible what, uh, how God uses David's just pouring out his heart in anguish and also in praise to, to him, to speak of our relationship with him and also what is going to happen to, to Jesus. David's words are like a kind of forerunner, a foretaste of, of what Jesus is going to do. Well, we should really get on with reading this, shouldn't we? So, so I'm, I'm not going to read it all the way through on its own. I'll, I'll just start reading through and, and we'll, we'll explain bits as we go along. So, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways, all my mannerisms, all those little things that make me, me, that make you, you. God, you know them. You know them. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord, both the good words and the bad words. He knows them all. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And speaking about heights, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. Now, some of you who might have seen what I wrote on Facebook yesterday will probably be expecting uh, this this next bit. I was I was thinking about the heavens, and if I went up into the heavens, and God was looking for me, how long would it take for Him to find me? All right. So imagine, if you will, a kind of cosmic game of hide and seek. Yeah. Now now I don't think David had any idea about how quite how big the heavens actually are. Okay. The naked eye can see maybe two and a half thousand stars in the night sky. So maybe on a very long sleepless, sleepless night, he might have been able to count about that. Okay, But thank you to the uh, wonderful technologies of the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, which has now been up in space for about 20 years. We've, we, we now know, and there was, a, there was a study produced in the journal Nature um, in 2010, um, that, that, est- that estimated the number of stars in the sky to be not 300 million, not 300 billion, not 300 trillion or 300 quadrillion, 
Okay, you following these numbers? Yeah? Not 300 quintillion. Hold your sniggers. 300 sextillion stars in the, in the observable universe. There might be more. We just don't know. Okay? So imagine I'm playing this great big game of hide and seek with God. Okay, and I'm, I'm going off into the heavens. God, you've got to find me. I'm, I'm, I'll make it easy for you, old fella. I'll, I'll, hide, I'll hide around in the vicinity of one of those stars you've made, one of those 300 sextillion stars that you've made. And I'll tell you what, it, if you have a minute to, to search around each star, one minute, how long would that game take? Yeah, a long time. I, I couldn't actually work this out. So I, this is why I had to put it on Facebook, because I, th- th- there were just too many zeros. 300 sextillion stars. Imagine a three, 300. We can all imagine 300. Stick 21 zeros on the end of that. That is 300 sextillion. Yeah, that's an awful lot. A minute to search around each one. I, I, had, to, I had to ask my, my friend who's, who, who's a financial director for a big big multinational company and he said he said it's about 57 quadrillion years that that game would take i i said that's a little bit longer than i was hoping for and i know that there are a number of limiting factors to this game that the fact that you know the time taken for me well time and means for me to travel to my star of choice uh uh maybe the Maybe my ability to withstand extreme temperatures and, and uh, uh, electromagnetic radiation. But, you know, I was hoping to be alive for the duration of the game. <laughs> so, so, so my, my friend Paul, I said, you know, how, how much shorter do, do we have to be? And he said, well, I didn't quite tell you the whole truth about 57 quadrillion. It's actually more than that, but I had to take off about something like 7,000 billion or something like that. That's why he rounded, he rounded it down by that much. Which is maybe why his company had to be bailed out by the, <laughs> by, by the uh, uh, President of the United States a few years ago. Um, uh, any, anyway, he's, they're, they're making a profit again, it's great. Um, so, so anyway, I, I had to kind of give God less than a minute to look around each one of these stars. So to do a second, it was still going to be far too long. I said, well, let's try one thousandth of a second. One thousand, this is kind of the time that you, you can't even measure one thousandth of a second very well. And if God had one thousandth of a second to look around each of the stars that he made for me hiding, okay, and, and I happened to just be around the last star that he looked for, because that's always the way, isn't it? Right? The game would still take 950 billion years. So I, I'm going to kind of give up on this idea that actually I could play this cosmic game of hide-and-seek. But yet David says that if I go into the heavens, you are there. And it won't take 950 billion years to find me. Because he's everywhere. He created all those stars. He put them in place. And in him, all those things hold together. He is everywhere at all times. It's not going to take him 950 billion years or, or, or even fractionally less to find you. Because he's everywhere. David goes on to say... Um, so he's gone up high into he's gone up billions of light years away and he says if i um 
If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Now, the depths, when I, when I read this, I just immediately think sea. Okay? And, and looking into the word that, that is in there, uh, it's the same word that appears um, uh, when Jonah is uh, crying out from the belly of the whale. But whilst Jonah would have been speaking figuratively, it doesn't, the, the actual Hebrew word here means sheol. It, it actually means the grave. It means death. Crying out from death, crying out from the pit, from the grave, not crying out from the depths of the sea. The literal translation of David's psalm is, if I spread out my couch in Sheol, if I lie down in death, lo, thee. Whoa, didn't expect to find you down here, God. See, our God may have made the 300 sextillion stars that we estimate that we know about. He may have made a universe that happens to be something like 92 billion light years across. But he gave up all that majesty to be born to a teenage mum, to breathe in a, in a barn to breathe air he made. To know intense hunger, desperate thirst. To see the pain of his fr- caused by the death of his friends. To die a death himself and be tortured like a criminal in place of us. He gave up all that majesty to walk our shoes, to, to, walk, to walk this world. He may have, he, he may be the God 46 billion light years up there, but he's a God who knows the grave as well. He's, he's here for you. And Deuteronomy 30, 33 says, Lord, your God is a refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He's your God up here. I wasn't expecting to see him down here. But he's, here for you, up, he's up here and underneath you when you've fallen further than you think you can. He's right there. David goes on to say, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I get up really, really early and sneak out of the house, maybe God won't hear me. I'll, I'll just sneak away. I, I was pretty good at doing this. I, I had a paper round when, when I was a Teenager at home with my parents, and I was, I, you know, I tried to be considerate. In the morning, you have to be out, uh, be at the shop for six o'clock, so I had to I'd be out of the house. You didn't want to wake everyone up, so I was quite good at sneaking out and not waking anybody up. At, at the beginning of the morning, when really I should have been tucked up in bed um, and coming in, I never seemed to not wake anybody up. So, so I'd come in. 
Oh, hello, Mum and Dad. Hello, Tim. What time do you call this? Uh, don't you guys ever go to bed? Well, we'd like to go to bed, Tim, but we're up worrying about you. <laughs> the Lord your God doesn't sleep or slumber. We ha- in fact, we heard this. Um, Caroline read this out in uh, Isaiah 40. Um, uh, he does not grow weary or tired. And Psalm 121 says that he does not sleep or slumber. This is quite hard to understand. I was, I was praying with Eva a couple of years ago. Eva's our eldest daughter. She's six now. She must have been about four or something like that when, when we were praying this prayer. And she was, she, was going, she was just lying down in bed and we were just praying. And just, just on that note, parents pray with your kids. I haven't always done it with my daughters, and, and I do now, and it's, it's really, really worthwhile. Do, do pray with your kids, because I think it makes a massive difference. Pray with them, pray for them, pray over them, because God is faithful and he does answer. Anyway, we're, we're praying this prayer, and I, was, it was, I think she had some nightmares or something, so we're just praying, like, God, would you give Eva a really good night's sleep? Would you watch over her as, as she... As she sleeps, would, would you um, give her some great dreams? Would you help her to understand about you? And, and he was like, but doesn't God need to go to sleep? I, I said, well, no, no, he, he doesn't. And she said, but he must, he's quite busy making us, looking after us, getting us food. I said, yeah, he's quite busy. But the Bible says that he doesn't sleep or slumber. Wow. And, you know, this was the wrong time of the day to be getting into a conversation about time zones with a four-year-old. And that there were lots of, even if you're sleeping in one place, there's still lots of other people around the world. But we ended up in this conversation. God's got a lot on his plate, and yet he does not sleep and slumber. You cannot wake up early and sneak out of the house without him noticing. And, and you know what? We, as a people, cannot decide on some moral trajectory that goes off in some way when he's not looking, that's out of his reach. However far we're going, however, wherever we're going as a country, wherever we're going as a nation... We're not out of the reach of his plan for salvation. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. See, not only did God make those places, he cares about the people that are there too. In, back in Genesis 22, <coughs> the Lord tells us, uh, the, sorry, the Lord tells Abraham that through his offspring, eventually Jesus, all nations, all nations would be blessed. So the Old Testament tells us about God's people, the nation of Israel. But actually, the promise right at the very beginning 
of that is that through the nation of Israel and ultimately through Jesus, all nations would be blessed. And God's heart for the nations doesn't just kind of stop there and then kick in with Jesus. There's glimpses of it before. So, but um, in talking about Jonah again, um, you know the, the story of when uh, God tells Jonah, go to the city Nineveh and, and tell these people, what are you doing? Because you, what, what you're doing is, is angering me. And Jonah's like, mm, no, I don't think I will go to a city of 120,000 people, which is about half the size of Derby. Okay? So these, these are numbers I can get my head around finally. Yeah? So I don't think I will. And, and so, so Jonah ends up in the belly of a whale. And then, and then he's crying out from the depths of near death. And God saves him and through, through the words that Jonah speaks, saves an entire city. His, his, uh, right at the end of Jonah, he says, Look, there are, are 120,000 people in the city. Um, I, I care about them. I, he, he sent that message to Nineveh because he cares about them and he is abounding in love. God cares about the nations. He really, really does. Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and the families of nations will bow down before him. It goes on to say, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim it to his... Proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. And here we are. There's about two billion of us on this planet who call ourselves Christians. We are that people yet unborn that the Bible is referring to. That David was being used prophetically in a song of anguish and pain, real anguish and pain, Psalm 22 is. It's a thrilling one. Take a look at it. God uses him to say, look at what's going to happen. Through my chosen one, a people yet unborn will know of my righteousness. So, Jesus does care about the nations. He didn't just care about what's happening in Jerusalem and in Israel. He cares about what's happening right here. And for us, we shouldn't just be caring about what happens in Jubilee. It is very important. This, this church is really important to God. And it's important to us how he, he cares for how we are here. He cares about his presence here with us. Okay, But he cares as much for Littleover as he does for Libya. And as much for Belper as he does for Bahrain. So, Jesus, as he was going up into heaven, said, said to his disciples, go, go into all the earth and make disciples. In Acts 1, he says, um, uh, you'll be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, right, right here in your hometown, but also in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let me ask you, 
Are you witnessing in Jerusalem? Are you witnessing in Derby or wherever you are? Have you got a heart for the nations? Have you got a heart to, to see people fed in Africa? Have you got a heart to see his grace come upon France? Have you got a heart to see um, children rehabilitated in Uganda or suffering people's lives put back together through his love in Haiti. He's got a real heart for the nations. If I say, verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Even the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You know, we've, what is true for David writing this psalm, singing this psalm, we were saying it's true for us, and it's true for me, and it's true for you, it's true for what the 80 people here. And it's true for the people, the 250,000 people in Derby. And it's true for the 60 million people in the UK. And it's true for the, as of yesterday, the 6.922 billion people on this earth. It's true for our, our entire society. And so when we, we, yeah, we know about darkness, yeah? And, and the personal situation that you might be going through, God hears your prayers in the night. Yeah, it's, it's, I know you've probably grasped by now that he's everywhere. Okay, He's up in the heavens, he's down in the depths, he's on the far side of the sea. He doesn't wake, you can't outwake him. But actually, it's easy to understand that in the day. Actually, at night time, things sometimes are a little bit different. It's hard, you're tired, your anxious thoughts that, the, that David talks about at the end of this verse get the better of you. He sees what you do in the day and the night. He knows you're coming and you're going. And so surely this darkness is too great. Surely that war is too big. Surely 42 million abortions a year is just too terrible. Surely people dying in, in a massacre in Srebrenica is just too awful. Surely that darkness is too great. No. The light, even if the light becomes night around me, even the darkness won't be dark to him. The, dark, the night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. To the Lord. His light shines in the darkness. It really does. You know, he, he created, let, let's carry on as a, as, a, as a society looking at this, um, as a world population looking at this. For you created my inmost being. He knows you intimately, but he also knows this world intimately. And when he left, you know, it's... It, when we hear those depressing figures about the, the earth, you could, you could really do with the Son of God just hanging out right next to you at the time, couldn't you? But actually, him going released his spirit 
in this earth. And now there are two billion people calling themselves Christians in this earth. Two billion people able to demonstrate his love and his compassion to the hurting of this world. Two billion people able to make a stand for justice in this world. Two billion people able to shout and make a noise about people being cared for correctly. About the innocent being killed. Two billion people able to sh- declare his glory in, in, uh, and, his, and his kingdom in this world. Two billion people able to pray and seek his coming again. As Jesus went, and the darkness seemed so great, his spirit came, and his church grew. And his church is the hope of this earth. I know it doesn't seem it, when there's just a few of us gathered here. But actually, his his church is the hope of this earth. And as we declare his love and glory and say that this darkness is not too great, for his his light shines in the darkness, we pull down his kingdom. We say, come, come again, come again. In Isaiah, we read of a wonderful declaration of his... um, of his light shining in the darkness. I think it's Isaiah 60. I hope it is. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears to you. Nations will come to your light and kings, uh, kings to the brightness of your dawn. His light shines in the darkness. His light was born in, into a stable in this earth. And demonstrated its power in his 30-odd years of life here. But his light shines even brighter amongst his church. And this isn't just where, where it stops, because you know, he, know, he knows us so well. He knits us together in our mother's womb. He knows this, this world so well, and yet he went away to leave his church, declaring his glory. But what we know is what's, what's coming that glorious ending, that glorious victory. In, uh, in Revelation 21, we read about it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. From the, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of, the heaven, uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, that's the church, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God 
himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. This is the victory that we're looking forward to and you are allowed to look happy at this point. Yeah? There will be no... This is the the glorious victory. You know, we've, we've seen his light shine out of the darkness because he knows us so well. He knows exactly what we need and it would have been much easier, it would have been much easier just to say, oh, well, Jesus is here, he'll do it. But actually, he left and left his spirit with us for us to do it, to join in with his kingdom, to join in with the, with the reward that, that, well, to join in the reward that, that comes working with him. I, I was, um, you know, it's always nice to see justice done. And, and I was, I've been working with a, a gentleman um, in my job as a, I'm a speech therapist, and um, a chap who'd had a head injury, um, quite a young guy, and he he got custody of his son because a marriage had broken up um, a long time a long time ago, and uh, and when when the son's mum heard about this guy having had an injury, she effectively stole custody away from him and and it was all quite traumatic and and this week I was able to to write a report that um that went to court and I was kind of just waiting all afternoon what's going to happen what's going to happen what's what's the judge going to say what's going to happen I've done the best I can I I really I, I hope that justice is done here I've done the best that I can I felt I felt this guy's pain and and I got a call later later on in the day saying the kid's back with us, the son's back with us, and I was like, now now that to you sounds like oh that's great. To me, because I'd been so involved, yeah, I'd been like yes yes, this is like amazing. I'd felt the pain, I'd known how bad things were, and I'd been really involved. And yes, <sighs> he's back. What a beautiful reconciliation. And that's, to you, you think, oh, he's just overplaying this on the stage. <laughs> yeah? But, but actually, I, I dare say, when you're involved in a story of separation, and when you're involved in, a, in reconciliation and justification... You are screaming from the rooftops when justice is done. And this is what we're looking forward to, that great victory, that great reconciliation of God with his people. This is what we're looking forward to. Would you, would you stand with me? We're, just gonna, we're gonna finish up in a couple of minutes. There's just a couple of points that I, I just wanna bring out that I want to take you back to um, to earlier in, in Psalm 139. 
I wonder if the, the band would, would come up. Mel, maybe you could play some keys for us or something. That'd be great. So at the end of Psalm 139, sorry, beginning. David's already said, you know me so well. Before, you know my thoughts, you know before a word is even on my tongue. You're, you're right there, you know me. And then he says, you hem me in. Behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Now, his word here, okay, isn't just, you hem me in, okay, isn't like hemming someone in with sewing, okay? The literal translation of this is, you besiege me. You besiege, he is outside, right, and this, this is true for some of you here today. You know God is on your case and it's like a siege, okay? You've got these great big walls up around you and he's just got, God can wait, okay? He doesn't want you to wait, but he can wait. He's just, he's going to wait you out, okay? It's like a, it's like a siege, okay? He, you besiege me behind and before me. I cannot flee from your presence. And this, this is resounding with some of you today, That he is, that he is right, he's right here. He's right on the, uh, on the edge of your wall. And if you dare just creak open that door, he's going to come in. He's going to get you. And you're scared, you're, you're scared about what he's going to do. You're, you're scared about what he's, what he's actually going to do with you. You're afraid that he might not like what he sees. But can I just say that if you were listening to the last half an hour... He probably does know everything about you already, okay? So, so he, he knows all about you. He, he, he does love you. He's not going to be upset with what he sees. If you just crack the door open just a little bit and take a peek, is he out there? Yes, he is out there, and he's going to come in and get you. But get you in a good way, because underneath, he's your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. His light will shine in the darkness. His light will shine in your darkness. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.